This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two-ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants, and the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety, and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I am here with my new friend Gerard. How's it going today, brother? Uh, really good, actually. Today has been above average. Um, I'm in Australia. You're in Texas, I believe. So That's it's right. a cold night here. It's probably nice and hot over there. Um, but yes, I still went to the beach, saw my dog, saw my friends. So just a, actually a wonderful day. I hope you're doing wonderful. good as well. Yes, doing great. I'm excited for this. I've actually been watching pretty much every video on your YouTube channel for about a year now. Oh, wow. So, I didn't realize everyone was watch or anyone was watching all my videos. So thanks yeah. for the compliments. I hope you found some use from us. Oh, 100%. And I love your set, too. Um, it's beautiful oh. to actually get to see it here in the podcast because I didn't I didn't know what I, where we were where you were going to be stationed up, but it's cool to get to see the actual real set. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's very much inspired by the Vajrayana tradition. Um, mm -hmm. I really like Vajrayana because it's sort of a combination of Buddhism, Hinduism, and the local shamanism um, mm -hmm. in India or, or the Himalayas. Um, but yeah, that's where the inspiration comes from. Wow, that's beautiful. It's awesome. So how I discovered your work, um, and the reason I've watched every video is because there's not a lot of people talking about this out there in the world right now. So when I do find people that are interested in this level of consciousness exploration, I tend to just kind of binge their content, you know? So I had found um, 5MEO Malt for the first time through Leo from Actualize.org. I believe you're familiar with him? Yes, he's super famous. Uh, anyone that's heard of 5MEO Malt, I think, knows of Leo. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I heard about it through him. And I was already just barely learning about 5-MeO DMT. So I was like, wow, this guy's not only doing this one, but another one. And, and he does it in a very, you know, from what I could tell from watching his videos, a very respectful way with a lot of reverence for these chemicals. And um, I had heard about that and I passed the idea by uh, some of my other like Psychonaut buddies. And I said, H have you guys ever heard of 5-MeO malt? And they were all like, no, like everyone said no that I asked. So I was like, I need to learn more about this, um, just on a level of curiosity, more than just like, I want to do it right away. Um, I like to learn about things like pretty in depth before I ever try them. Uh, for the most part, I've always been a very kind of safe, kind of studied psychonaut. Um, That's I'm not a good really approach like, to have. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I've always thought of it at first, at the beginning of this all, I thought of it like I was kind of being like a scientist of of a sort. Um, these days, I just, I, I look at it a little different. But um, but anyway, yeah, I had never heard of that. No one that I knew had ever heard of it. So I started doing research and I found your channel. And you had uh, not only, you know, made a video about 5-MeO malt, but 5-MeO DMT as well. Um, and so these are the some of the most powerful compounds for expanding consciousness known to mankind at this moment. It's very leading edge. And um, I wanted to discuss those with you and a number of other topics, but just to like give the listeners like a, a backbone to this story. Um, how did you get interested in spirituality? You know, how did you get interested in consciousness expansion and psychedelics? Like what's the kind of story to Open Hearts United, which is your, your channel? Sure. Well, it's a bit of a roundabout story. But I would say, actually, these days I don't associate with being Christian at all. But when I was about mm -hmm. 12, I did have some sort of a just eye-opening moment about what goodness mm -hmm. is and about the value of, maybe you could say, the white light. 
So when I was really young, I discovered something like a spark, you could say. And then I delved really deeply into the Bible. I actually mm -hmm. didn't have internet at the time when I was homeschooled. And I took it very genuinely. But over the next 10 years, especially because there was, you know, the, the people around me, the Christians around me didn't believe in evolution. So there was just that big conflict in truth. So mm -hmm. I totally deserted that and became an atheist for a little while. But then I discovered actually a bit of Leo's talks. He had a mm -hmm. really, uh, he talked about uh, what is enlightenment basically in a way I hadn't heard before and it sounded exciting. And then I discovered Shinzen Young, who talks mm -hmm. about spirituality in a very like scientific way, it's a secular way. Mm -hmm. um, he teaches Vipassana basically. Um, and then I just delved into it myself. What I really like about the Buddhist approach is that you're seeing for yourself. It's not about beliefs at all. Right. And of course, as you're just researching about enlightenment and the states of consciousness that are possible, psychedelics naturally come up. Yeah. And I got a hold of LSD first. That's the most easy to get usually. And I tried mm -hmm. it out with my friends. But like you were alluding to earlier, I found in my personal life, most people don't actually look at it from a point of reverence. It's more of a party drug. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't meet any friends, actually, that would meditate on a psychedelic and mm -hmm. really be focused. Yeah. So that's sort of why I created the, the YouTube channel, because it's a, it's a mode of expression. But at the mm -hmm. same time, it's nice to interact with people. And I thought mm -hmm. it is something that doesn't exist right now on the Internet, is combining yeah. deep spirituality and the spiritual traditions with psychedelics because they're very psychedelics are very powerful but you need that genuine intention absolutely wow that's really cool to hear and I, I resonate a lot with that story and i am you know we're very similar in that i'm that dude that when we take psychedelics i'm like let's meditate let's take this as a spiritual pilgrimage within you know so uh, I, I have been lucky enough to find a number of people that, that are a very similar mindset and we do journey work in that way. Um, but that makes a lot of sense with where you're coming from there. Um, <clears throat> so what, can you tell me more about that second guy, not Leo, but did you say Shenzhen Young? Is that what you said? Yes, Shenzhen Young. I don't know what his, um, he's, he's a Westerner. I don't know mm -hmm. what his birth name is, but yeah, he's a really interesting guy. He would sort of, I think, classify himself as a generalized mystic. I think mm -hmm. I get a lot of insp inspiration from him <clears throat> mm -hmm. because he likes to get inspiration from all the traditions, Christianity. He actually grew up Jewish and he mm -hmm. became a Buddhist monk. He explored the Zen tradition, the Vajrayana tradition as well. Uh, I think even Mahayana. So he's very well versed as well. He knows a lot of Sanskrit. Um, he's, he's quite old at the moment. I think he's approaching 80. Mm -hmm. And he also has psychedelic experiences. Oh, he had when he was younger. He doesn't, you know, he just mentions in passing that he's done them, but it's not a big yeah. focus of his work. Mm -hmm. But he's got a really scientific way of looking at this. No, no beliefs attached to it. It's all about what can you do to introspect the most effectively. Yeah. So I think in a way I would, for myself, like to think of me in that way. I'm like the, the successor of that spirit of mm -hmm. accepting all the traditions as a point of inspiration and using the tools of meditation as effectively as we can. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of what the primary mystical experience is, where it it's that mystical experience that inspires people to create religions or thought forms or, you know, not thought forms, but I mean like um, wisdom traditions, you know, from the, the Tao Te Ching, you know, which was informed by something, uh, certainly a bunch of experiences by that author, Lao Tzu, um, as well as Christianity, as well as Sikhism, as well as, you know, Hinduism has so many branches, so it's really hard to put that into one writer, but um, let's just say the Vedas, maybe, but... Well, Patanjali, um, he's always a good one. I love Patanjali, I agree. So, yeah, they're all tapping into something that really words can't describe, um, and that, so that they say it the best that they can with the cultural kind of background that they have, and then we get all these different traditions spitting out from east, west, north, south, and then they're all kind of saying the same thing, you know, and a lot of people kind of by default fall into that belief system just because their parents instill it in them from childhood, but a lot of them don't really know perhaps what the initial experiences were that sparked that religion or that tradition. Um, I think that's what we're touching on here with experiences of the nature of 5-MeO, um, DMT, or malt. And these type of experiences of cosmic oneness are, yeah, at the root of like every belief system, I feel like that is of the mystical nature. Um, what would you say about that? I think that's very fantastically put. And I don't know about you, um, like, again, I grew up Christian, and it's almost like a lot of the lessons, I because I, I read the whole Bible, actually, as a fun fact, but it's like mm -hmm. seeds were being planted, and I never understood them. But then yeah. on a psychedelic experience, you have this profound moment of, oh, I see exactly what they were trying to communicate. Yeah. And what I like about that is it's extremely humbling to realize mm -hmm. someone from 2,000 years ago realized it. And not mm -hmm. only, you know, a, a guy from Israel, Jesus, but you can have mm -hmm. other insights like the Buddha from India said the same mm -hmm. thing. And um, yeah, the Yoga Sutra is a famous one. That's a really mm -hmm. good, if anyone's interested in spirituality, that's like, it, the, 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 when you first see what is written there for yourself, you know, you can read it and you can mentally understand it. But mm -hmm. then just profoundly realizing someone wrote that thousands of years ago, I find extremely, it's humbling, but in a really profound way. Yes. Yeah, it's almost like you're connected to some lineage in a sense. You know, I felt very um, powerful, mystical connection to like ancient yogis or something in these states where it's like, you know, and it is because I studied yoga. So it's there. It's in my subconscious. It's it's already a, the soup that exists within my set and setting. Um, but yeah, I, I seem to be getting these type of yogic downloads or realizations or, or postures even coming through or maybe new breathwork patterns, just like, um, and, and it, and it, to me, it, it, you know, in a way inspires the idea that, wow, I'm tapping into what the original yogis that created this system tapped into. Um, yeah, that's, um, the, yeah, the way you ahead. put it there sounds really mystical and well, you could say it sounds almost out there, but at the same mm -hmm. time, you're right. It's, it's totally undeniable that it, mm -hmm. the, the sort of downloads you get, they're not coming from within you. It genuinely mm -hmm. feels like it's information coming from externally. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's really well put. Yeah, I think the general new age kind of 
you know, language would be, what would they call it? The, um, I just had it. It was, um, the astral plane, you know, they just say the the astral records or whatever, but you know, there's, I don't know what, where it would be coming from other than, yeah, some type of information that just exists that we're able to download. It's almost like cosmic information in a way. Um, but I did go on. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, something I just thought of um, in passing, as you were saying that, is it's really exciting as well for me to imagine because we're sort of, I would say we're breaking through, you could say, from the human consciousness into something greater. Mm. But imagine what consciousness someone like Patanjali would be at, you know, who lived thousands of years ago, unless maybe he totally dissolved himself into God, that's possible. But, Mm -hmm. you know, who knows what's possible if we continue down this path as a spirit for the next Mm -hmm hundreds of years that's another like really good source of inspiration at least for me i don't know if you've ever had similar thoughts yeah absolutely absolutely that's powerful it's very powerful um but i did yeah i wanted to hear some of your firsthand experiences as as to some of the most powerful you know psychedelic experiences you've had i assume it's with one of the five meos um and maybe you could give us a little bit of a overview as to what they are and how they're different you know, between 5-MeO DMT and 5-MeO malt? Sure. Uh, yeah, that's a big question, actually, but I'll, um, I'll sort of address it. The first thing I always, you know, sometimes this question comes up about what's the most powerful experience you've had, which is mm-hmm. kind of hard to, to classify that, because mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? I think to me, powerful experience means like transformation, because you can have a peak of experience, but then when you come back, are you the same person or have you been transformed? So by that measure, I think some of my magic mushroom experiences as well, they were very transformational. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, to sort of come on to to the second part of your question, for me, what makes 5-MeO DMT and malt different from the other psychedelics, because I've tried, Mm. you know, the common ones, is that they put you in touch with the white light energy. I don't know if you would resonate with that, but it's, yeah, it's, very, cl- it's very clean. There's not a lot of distortion to it or distraction. It's mm-hmm. like very single pointed, whereas something mm-hmm. like magic mushrooms, although it can be transformational, it's more confusing to the mind and it can be more all over the place. Yeah. But the important thing is your intention. At least that's what mm-hmm. I think. If you have a good intention, any psychedelic will dissolve the the mind structures and you can have insights from any of them um yeah does that answer your question i hope Uh, in in an authentic way that's my answer awesome thank you so the white light energy is is essentially it, it sounds very like uh direct so it's like you're you're taking this molecule and then what is it 10 seconds in you just is it white light and do you lose sense of time? Like what, what kind of happens? Is there any entities there, any presence of some being or, or I've heard that maybe you just become God, you know, like what would you say the experience is like? Sure. Well, I, yeah, maybe I should clarify as well, because the white light, it's still a metaphor to me. It's, uh, it's related to the benevolent energy of, of Mm -hmm. existence that just wants pure goodness and to me, when I'm on the experience, 
the, the reason I also like to say white light is because that's visually what you're seeing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've made a few videos on this. Of course, people are welcome to check that out. I see visuals of angels or just hands and saints. I've, I think mm-hmm. on Malt and 5ME DMT, I've never had an ugly visual. It's all very mm-hmm. angelic, very heavenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very beautiful. But the word that usually comes to my mind when I'm having a profound experience is just undeniable, deep, deep healing, like mm-hmm. to, to the depths that I couldn't even imagine were possible. Karmic mm-hmm. blockages are being removed through love. And that's what I really like about it. Is sometimes after the fact, I doubt how much healing happened because mm-hmm. it was just sort of in a different space. But mm-hmm. the... Some people don't like the concept of healing because they would say we're already perfect, which is true. But I think on a karmic level, there's a lot of purification that can happen. Uh, there's a word in, in Sanskrit that I like called kriya, which essentially means purification of just the energy system. And that's what most, for me, makes 5-MeO, I would say especially malt because I'm doing that more, extremely reliable. It's never mm-hmm. failed to deliver that feeling of white light purifying the body Mm. and all you really do is you drop who you are drop everything don't try to do anything and just let the white light imbue you and then it has an intelligence of its own that Mm. heals you with its divine hands to be metaphoric wow very powerful love that do, do you get any sense of energy surging through the nadis or the chakras or this kind of subtle body? Or does that come up in your experiences at all? Is it some type of awareness that, that dawns on you at all? Yes, I, I would say definitely. Um, there's this practice called Shambhavi as well. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it. It's in the Kriya Yoga mm-hmm. school. It's basically mm-hmm. this technique of staring at a point or at your third eye as well. It's a bit mm-hmm. abstract to explain, but that's really effective, I, I believe. Uh, many people have had a lot of success with it at seeing the energy in your nadis. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, I, on psychedelics, I do experience energy surges, but also just in sober reality. I think it's an ability you can unlock. Like anyone can do it. You just need to sort of practice the techniques and maybe mm-hmm. then practice them on a psychedelic it can literally unlock that ability that all human beings have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so it's just kind of this inward focus gaze at the third eye point, and then slowly but surely you start to get some type of deeper consciousness of energy, or what happens? Yeah, it's maybe I should make a whole video. Sometimes these abstract things need to be put in like a really formal way. But sure. sort of what your eyes do is you look at this point, your, um, oh, sorry, your eyes look at a point, your eyebrows can flutter, and then it's like your something in your nervous system does an inward reflection. And then you literally mm. see just energy moving, and you can literally see the chakras. Maybe not in huge detail, but you can definitely tell when energy is like at your throat or if it's down in the sacral area. If it's at the third eye, sometimes you feel really vivid pulsing. So it's very undeniable what happens or that it works. And I, I guess I could share for me LSD, because that's what I did um, when I started my psych- psychedelic journey. That really, really helps because, as you know, LSD is very visual. Mm-hmm. 
And essentially, I would say if you just close your eyes on a psychedelic like LSD, you are seeing your inner dimensions, right? Because it's not yeah. coming from the external world. And it's basically mm -hmm. just focusing those visuals to a point. And mm -hmm. if you can focus it to a point, my theory at least is that essentially is a chakra. And if yeah. you can locate that in the body, you're on the right track. Mm, I love that. Very profound. Um, is that at all similar to the tip of the nose gaze? Have you ever tried that one? I have. Uh, actually, yeah, I was just talking to, about this to someone else. The, the word Shambhavi usually refers to looking at a point here, but there's actually a few points you could look at. And in Zen, actually, they tell you to look down, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, once you sort of unlock that ability, I think you can look many places. The tip of the nose also works really well, although I won't say that's my speciality. Mostly I look yeah. sort of forwards. Got it, got it. Yeah, I'm very new to the tip of the nose gaze, and it, it's it's actually kind of uncomfortable. Um, well, yeah, what you do is, you know, more or less put your finger out ahead of you and slowly dial it into your nose and your eyes kind of do a little bit of a, a narrowing, a little bit of almost a cross, but not quite a cross. And then it does stimulate something in the, you know, you would maybe say pineal gland or pituitary gland or something in the head that it, it becomes a new type of visual um, over time, but I haven't had the experience yet that you're just that you're talking about where you like fully get this energy body, but I also haven't, or at least awareness of the energy body. Um, but I haven't tried this on psychedelics yet. So it's uh -huh. just kind of a new yogic technique I'm exploring. I think if you do, that's like sort of key what you're saying now is to practice it sober, you know, quite a mm -hmm. lot for a few hours. And my guess yeah. would be if you now try it on psychedelic, you will have a lot of success. Yeah. And I'm no expert at all. I, I don't claim to be. But I think the key with this exercise is the, the point of focus. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter so much where the point of focus is. If it's on the midline, it's good. Mm -hmm. And just having a, a point of unwavering focus is, is sort of the, the key to making it work. Mm, yep. I love that. There was also another um, exercise that, that I learned about from you which is called the Kachari Mudra. Um, it's a very kind of uh, unknown and, and kind of a little bit extreme, you know, kind of mudra. Um, would you tell us how you learned about it and what do you think it's doing and how to do it? Yeah, sure. It's like you said, it's first of all esoteric. Not too many people know about it and it can sound a bit strange. Mm -hmm. I first heard about it. It's called a website. It's, it's called AYP site which stands for Advanced Yogic Practices. And it basically mm -hmm. talks about the Kriya Yoga School of Practice. It's very thorough. Anyone interested in this? The website's a bit old school, but I highly recommend you look at it. It's a great resource. Mm -hmm. And when I first read about it, I intuitively just thought, like, I know this will work. I know there's something to it. But yeah. logically, it's, it shouldn't make sense. It just sounds a bit strange. So I guess yeah. I'll reveal what it is, the practice. Yeah. Basically, the practice is putting your tongue above the soft palate, so it's literally behind the nose. Mm -hmm. And to simplify it to a few sentences, the reason this is so powerful is because there's stored up karma behind the nose, which mm -hmm. kind of makes sense to me because, you know, if you feel an emotion, you usually grimace or smile. It involves yeah. a lot of muscles in this area. 
And basically what I guess you could say yogis discovered in the past is that if you purify the the tissue behind the nose, the muscles, the energy there, it can become quite sensual, like sexuality, Mm -hmm. this really nice erotic feeling even. Mm-hmm. And that brings up the energies from the lower chakras all the way to the third eye. Mm-hmm. And that can open up sort of caduceous types of energies, yeah. which feels just very liberating. And your consciousness almost goes up a gear. It's th- This is sort of another esoteric part of it. The goal ultimately is to start secreting what the yogis call an amrita, which is very similar to a psychedelic, actually. You get sort of DMT-like visuals, a lot of euphoria, and Mm -hmm. that sense that the self, who I am, is dissolving. Mm -hmm. So you can say, like the website I learned it from, it's a bit of an advanced yogic practice. You don't start this on day one. But a lot of people have the opinion that if you actually want to become a enlightened, liberated being, that this is the practice to do it because mm-hmm. you need to make that jump from a certain level of consciousness up. And this mm-hmm. is how many people suggest you do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the only way, but it's highly effective in my experience and mm-hmm. many others. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard anyone try it and then say it's, it's not true. It's rubbish. Everyone agrees that, wow, there is something very purifying to that practice. Right. Yes. So when I was watching your video, of course, I was trying. And for me, it seems like there has to be some type of flexibility, maybe over time gained because it just currently it just does it won't reach. Right. So what would you say about like, is it reachable for most people? Or what's the practice of kind of stretching that tongue reach you know what i mean (laughs) Uh, sure well this is another controversial topic i should clarify is straight away because i totally respect uh, people with the opposite opinion to mine Mm -hmm. but my opinion is that it's okay to cut what's called the frenulum if anyone watching this looks under your tongue there's like a little tendon there and that is what's stopping your tongue going back There is some flexibility, like you can stretch the tongue. The tongue is a muscle. It can be stretched. Mm -hmm. But this frenulum under the tongue is what's keeping you from going up there. Mm -hmm. And it's possible to go up without cutting, but it takes a lot more effort to stretch the frenulum. Mm -hmm. Some people like myself say it's okay, and we cut it slowly, very responsibly, because you can, there's veins basically under your tongue. You shouldn't just be like waving a, a, a scalpel around. Right. But if you cut that off, then you can go above. That's basically the, the block. Mm-hmm. So do you think from ancient times, people have been finding ways to cut that part? Well, uh, I don't want to pretend like I'm a scholar again, but in the Upanishads, sure. they talk about this practice and okay. they talk about how they cut their tongue as well. Or not cut their tongue, cut the frenulum. And I remember one Upanishad, it calls it the frenulum of death. It's really dramatic. But they are alluding to the fact that this is the way to escape death in a way and become immortal, not the physical body. But in in the Upanishads, that's why I feel okay as well about the cutting because Mm -hmm. people that have done it, uh, you know, that are alive today, have good results. It doesn't feel disrespectful. And even the Upanishads written thousands of years ago encourage it. 
But mm -hmm. some very famous yogis say that it's not good to damage the body at all. And mm -hmm. I, I just want to not hype it up for people to just go cutting. You need to introspect yeah. genuinely within yourself to decide if that seems like sacrilege to you or if it seems authentically, you know, aligned with your values. Right, right. That's a big one. You know, that's definitely something I'm not ready to just jump right into. But I, I you know, I'm curious if with some stretching, it could be done. Um, but, but I'm also just, I was just trying to get any type of effect from this mudra. And so I was just kind of pushing the tongue up um, to the upper palate because it's, it's soft. And I was already kind of almost getting like, I almost got like dizzy, right? I was also in a sauna when I was doing this. And maybe it was some of the heat. But I was like, <clears throat> just pushing the pressure up as, as far back as I could. And I was feeling something like, what would you say the sensation should feel like? And, and have you ever heard anyone doing what I'm saying and it having any type of effect or is it just kind of just not really doing it? <laughs> no, it's really good that you mentioned that point. Again, I'm no scholar, but I was just ages ago reading in my mind now, random Buddhist texts. And they talk mm -hmm. about putting your tongue just not above the soft palate, but if you feel mm -hmm. in your mouth right now, maybe you can go back. You can feel it goes mm -hmm. from a hard roof to a soft roof. Yes. And if you just put the tongue where those two meet, that is mm -hmm. actually just below the septum of the nose. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. already encourage you to do that. And that already does help. Okay. And for me, I've found as well uh, to describe the sensation a little bit, and I think anyone can get this benefit, is... I hope it makes sense. It's a bit abstract, but by stretching the tongue, it feels like a snake reaching higher, literally, to, to be metaphorical, yeah. reaching towards higher consciousness. So yeah. the tongue stretching, it to me, it literally feels like there's a nadi attached mm -hmm. from the tongue down to the lower chakras. So even if yeah. you're not above the palate, by stretching the tongue, it seems to draw up energy. But then the thing is, you don't just want to draw up energy. You want to meditate and release the energy as well, if, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. I'm always a bit mm -hmm. cautious about talking about things too abstractly. Sure, sure. No, that's awesome. Um, just a question, because, you know, I've, I've studied yoga for years, and I have heard in certain classes they say, put the bottom of the tongue to the upper palate. Um, in your experience, is there several points there that work, or do do they more or less mean what you said every time, which is between where that point where it gets uh, between where it gets hard to where it gets soft, you know, is that the ideal placement in a yoga class or because sometimes I felt like they were almost saying the, the front of the mouth, right? It's like, but it, it's hard to know. Cause you can't like raise your hand in the middle and just be like, where in the mouth, you know, you're just kind of like, I'm trying, you know? Yeah. Well, to be honest, I can't say I've experimented too much with the tongue uh, in the main, uh, what do you call it, the main area of the mouth, because I've been right. doing kachari. But yeah. what I can say for kachari is every now and then I'm excited that I found like the magical, perfect place to put yeah. the tongue. And yeah. what I usually find is there is no magical place. It varies. It moves around. And oh, okay. usually the best place to put it is where you get stretching because that is pulling up energy. Mm -hmm. And that might be the downside, I guess, of just putting it where the soft palate and the hard palate meet. There's no stretching. 
So maybe that's just as an idea. I'm not saying it's gospel, but would encourage someone like you to do is to experiment with stretching the tongue a little bit. And in, in maybe some, well, it might be a bit awkward in the mouth, but mm-hmm. if you can stretch it and put some part of the tongue where the two meet, then that mm-hmm. can draw up the energy to the septum, if that makes any sense, I hope. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just to stay on this funny topic of the, of the tongue and its movements and stuff, have you ever heard about how you can um, activate some type of parasympathetic effect when you circle the tongue around the mouth and just like kind of reach in every direction and then reverse the direction have you ever heard of that Uh, i can't say i ever have but it does make Mm -hmm. sense to me again if this theory is correct that two of our main nadis goes in through the tongue Mm -hmm. then essentially the tongue is a very spiritual organ i think that's very true Mm -hmm. um they also have you do tongue stretches out of the front of the mouth. I forget what it, the pose is called. I think it's lion pose or something, but it's just like, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, my guess would be, again, you're, you're stretching out energy, which can be very useful. Mm-hmm. I remember to be a bit off topic now as well. Some of my first, um, oh, to share a fun fact again, when I was first getting into psychedelics, I was mostly trying LSD and also magic mushrooms. But I was seeing a lot of occult or like very ugly visuals. Mm-hmm. Like you could say about like dragons eating each other or snakes biting each other. And mm-hmm. what I was finding is, though it was very clear to me that those energies are stored in the sort of the facial area, stored in the jaw, in the tongue. And mm-hmm. the, the visuals I would see would be like, a, you know, let's just say like a do- an ugly dog sticking its tongue out and trying to bite me. That energy, I think, is literally stored in the body. So Mm -hmm. the way that we purify it, perform Kriya, is through engaging with the tongue and and Mm -hmm. stretching it perhaps, whether that's up through Kachari or even straight out. I can Mm -hmm. see that any conscious work regarding the tongue would be great. Absolutely. Yes, that's very cool. But Um, maybe I should also just balance things out by saying that it's not like the holy grail just working with the tongue. We need to mm -hmm. be, you know, mindful of the whole body. It's a really complicated system, and Mm -hmm. every part of it is holy, and it deserves our full care and attention. Wherever the energy seems to be moving, whatever's, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of capturing your focus, I think is good for, for anyone to practice. Right. Yeah, that brings to mind why the system of yoga is helpful in that it gives you a kind of full range of things to do. Like, for example, if if you're feeling some stuck energy in the stomach, there's a lot of navel exercises you can do from things like breath of fire, pumping the navel to stretch pose where you kind of lay on the ground, lift your legs up, lift your arms up and breathe. Um, it's really like in the navel area, you know, there's ones that are focused on the arms, you know, like by doing extended holds, you know, like just even putting your arms to the left and right and holding this as long as you can. Yeah. After three minutes, it starts to hurt. It starts to be a practice, you know what I mean? Um, and you can, um, do above your head as well. There's several kind of mudras and postures, uh, exercises you can do, um, with moving the energy up through the head as well. Um, but I did want to ask, like, what is your general practice? Like, how do you start your day? Uh, you know, I feel like you live, you know, a pretty spiritual lifestyle. Um, and just just for people listening, like, you know, how how do you start your day? And what do you do? What, what rituals do you have daily? And 
uh, how does that make you feel, you know? Sure. Well, I think I'll answer the, the question a little bit casually. Mm-hmm. But what I can say for me is important is actually, especially if you're into deep spirituality, to mm-hmm. prioritize innocent, wholesome joy. So yeah. a great way for me to start my day, I- I've got a little sausage dog. You probably saw it on the YouTube channel. That yes. is actually, I think, a really spiritual way to start the day is just to go and cuddle your dog a little bit, just like get the good, happy feelings going. Yeah. And then usually I start my day actually eating a nice uh, vegan meal, something like nice and healthy. And mm-hmm. then I just sort of organically meditate when I'm ready. It would usually mm-hmm. be quite a lot of hours on a day, maybe three to four hours of meditation a day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some people would say discipline is more important than I put into it. But as long as I'm organically wanting to meditate, I tend to trust those feelings because mm-hmm. in a way, spirituality, it's more it's more organic rather than a building. You know, something like a pyramid, it's very structured, straight lines, whereas mm-hmm. sometimes You know, if you're having a mystical experience, it feels more like a lotus blossoming. But Mm -hmm. I think there's there's a discipline aspect, which is really good, which I can probably work on. But then you also need to leave room for just joy and whatever's happening in your life to fully jump into that and Mm -hmm. to just follow the feeling a little bit. Do it consciously, but to not be too rigid with my schedule, at least. So Mm -hmm. it does vary quite a lot what I'm doing month to month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ho- I hope that's uh, maybe not so much of a satisfying answer, but that's my authentic no, answer. No, that's great. Absolutely. Um, when you do meditate, like, what is the experience like for you? You know, I think everyone has a different level of meditation that they're at, you know, from someone just starting who's more or less just consciously watching their thoughts to people that are a little deeper where the thoughts start to disappear or you're able to get into this one-pointed kind of awareness um, to deep visionary states of consciousness. Um, For you, what are, I know it varies day to day, but like more or less, what does it feel like when you achieve a a good meditation where you're like, oh, this is, this is really good, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, thanks. Thanks for the question. I I guess I would, at this point, I really like the Kachari Mudra and -hmm. effectively that never fails to disappoint. So if nothing much is happening, I do the Kachari Mudra for a bit, and then definitely energy moves upwards. It gets pulled upwards. And then usually I can feel, I would say it's something like an energy block, uh, sort of energy is getting stuck somewhere or building up somewhere, like a balloon getting pumped up. And then I just sit in meditation with that single point focus and just try and keep that focus as much as I can. There will be a lot of visuals associated with it, usually not many words. Mm-hmm. And the process sort of un- unravels itself like a, like a ball of yarn that's coiled up and s- that's springy. So mm-hmm. just over a few hours, however long my session is, the, the coils sort of just seem to, to spring out and perhaps loosen some karmic blockages. Yeah. And that's really interesting how you can feel it moving through the body and how mm-hmm. it's how it's changing your perceptions of the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Would you say that since you began eating, you know, vegan, that 
the spiritual dimension is a bit more available to you or, or how does your body feel? Um, because I, I understand that there's a few levels to the meat conversation on one of my just podcasts, just a few ago, we discussed how, um, you know, sometimes it's okay to eat meat, right? But other times it in particular, if you're going into a ceremony or you're trying to reach some deeper state of consciousness that not having that animal energy w in the, in the system, um, gives you kind of a lighter load, so to speak. Uh, what is your experience with, with meat and, and veganism and these types of things? Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying in general. I, I found for myself, fish actually doesn't give me that same effect of feeling really heavy. But when mm -hmm. I eat meat, it's not even a spiritual conversation, really, but I just feel groggy and like I want to sleep and just like, just mm -hmm. let my stomach work because it's more work to digest something that's that heavy. I believe yeah. it, is it that it takes three days for meat to go through the digestive system instead of a few hours? That sounds right. So, yeah, I think just on a practical level, it definitely helps to be vegan, just to eat as healthy as possible and as light. Of course, it doesn't help if you're eating vegan, but you're eating, you know, really unhealthy, just potato chips. That's more yeah. the main thing is that it's healthy and that mm -hmm. it resonates or feels good in your body because I think mm -hmm. we are all different. Some people might, right. you know, feel really good after drinking milk, but I don't. Mm -hmm. Right. That's interesting. That's good. Very cool. Um, well, what have you come to as far as like why you believe we're here? This is a very deep topic, but, you know, we're in this cycle, you know, we might call it, you know, the cycle of reincarnation for people that have had a bunch of spiritual experiences. It very much feels like this thing that keeps coming back. It, it, it's like we get this sense that we've been here all along and we're never going to go away. And that could be interpreted as we are God, or it could just be that you're understanding your soul's journey. But you know, from what you understand and where you've come f through all your studies and all your experiences, like, what do you think, why are we here? Like, what is the point to us being here? Like what, what mission, if any, should we have, uh, on earth while we're on this path of awakening? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's a really deep question. Uh, it's funny you ask that. I've actually been thinking about it more, so, you know, related mm -hmm. topics recently. And my conclusion is I, I have no idea. But mm -hmm. to sort of share a fun concept that I've been thinking about mm -hmm. is that perhaps uh, to start from the beginning, obviously we're animals basically that came up through Darwin. And mm -hmm. it seems that consciousness and the life energy was useful for evolution. And mm -hmm. in order for evolution to utilize consciousness, Evolution got really good at spinning delusions and putting a veil over our consciousness and basically mm -hmm. trapping us in our mind, making us believe that we, we, we could die, you know, mm -hmm. uh, making us believe that we need to reproduce. That's really important. Just mm -hmm. basically el eluding us or deluding us into thinking all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But then perhaps we were guided by divine intelligence somehow but humans have reached some state of consciousness that we can start to see through that. And that's basically mm -hmm. the goal of a human being like myself or you, if we're interested in spirituality, is to unravel millions of years of evolution to a really deep level 
and just to see who we really are, which is, I don't really know, <laughs> but mm-hmm. some sort of spirit, something that's not the body, it's not the mind. But that's mm-hmm. a really interesting question. If we're not the body and we're not the mind, what are we? What, what could a soul be? If a soul mm-hmm. is real, how does that relate to the chakras, for instance? Mm-hmm. But also just to elaborate mm-hmm. a bit more as purely speculation, but you know how a scaffold of a building works, basically. They, they build a scaffolding and then the, the building gets built in the middle. And mm-hmm. perhaps the human body is like a scaffold for spirit to create something that it wants to create, like a, a, a being of light, you could say, or some people might call it a naga, which would mm-hmm. essentially be a consciousness that can take any form it wants and it isn't weighed down by the, the, the energy or the karma of Darwin. And perhaps mm-hmm. that's what consciousness is trying to do. I'm just mm-hmm. speculating. But even then, even if that is true, there's still greater questions. Like, if we can reach that sort of state, what next? What, is that it? Are we just going to sit there mm-hmm. being a naga forever? So right. it's, a, it's a really deep question. I think it's good we ask it. But I don't mm-hmm. think it's particularly useful for us to come up with a conclusion. As long as we yeah. stay open-minded, that's the best place to be at. Right. I agree. Um, you know, I asked that question, you know, one, because I know you have a lot of deep experiences under your belt. But, but two is that I, through my teenage years, had lost the hope that we were here for any reason. And, you know, I would call that atheism, more or less. Now, through the handful of psychedelic experiences I had in my early 20s, I very much felt like there was a reason I was here. There was a purpose. Um, and the idea came to me in, a, in one of these psychedelic visions that creation is fractal. So, from creation comes creation. And essentially, whatever that energy of creation is, created us and wants us to create more. And then perhaps have those creations that we create, create, you know? So it's like the act of creation is fractaling through all of these dimensions, um, from the highest to the densest, you know, like from the most ethereal to the most physical, um, even down to atoms, it's like they're in there doing something. They're they're creating something. I don't. We don't know what it is, but I, I had this vision of um, it was actually during a DMT smoked, you know, in in DMT smoked session, where as the effect was coming on, I exhaled, and the smoke itself became the cosmos, and there was a man, an old man smoking cosmic DMT inside of this cosmos and inside of what his exhale was, was all of the universes. And then I was just like laughing. It was kind of this hysterical epiphany that we're just the side effect of a greater consciousness smoking psychedelics. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's, it's, what I love about that, that's sort of coming back to what we were saying earlier. I don't, thanks for sharing. That's a great story. But what mm-hmm. came to my mind was it reminds me a lot of the Hindu god Brahman, like this sense of a god of many heads and just pure infinite creation, like you could say fractal creation. 
And it's, yeah. it's really amazing that through your DMT experience, you basically expressed what super advanced yogis were trying to express thousands of years ago. And you came about that totally on your own. So mm. that sort of gives a legitimacy, I think, to what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's why I, you know, and I don't like to to boost myself up or whatever, but these experiences are very convincing. They're very like your whole life can change after a handful of these experiences from from what it was before to a whole new chapter, a whole new understanding. And I'm not saying that I'm able to stay in touch with that dimension 24/7, but when it happens, it's like unmistakable that like this is some deep gnosis, you know, like gnosis is like the act of knowing, getting real knowledge under your belt. And that's something that no one can take from you. You know, like once you have these knowings, this gnosis, you can call back to it over and over and over again. And it's really, that's the practice of living a spiritual life is integrating those knowings because it's, it's like one thing to have it and then life starts happening and you're forgetting it and you're forgetting it. You have to stay in touch with those things. Um, which le does lead me to a question, and I know that this has a, a range of answers to it from, you know, very few to quite often, but how often do you think that psy using psychedelics is helpful, you know, because some people could do it weekly, monthly, or yearly. Some people say do it once in your life, you know what I mean? Um, but for me, it feels like something like a three-month check-in so what's that four times a year i feel like just dipping your toe in maybe you don't have to have the the craziest of of psychedelic journeys four times a year but i'm just curious for you what feels helpful what feels like in flow hmm. well firstly thank you for sharing that was really beautiful i really liked what you were saying and what one word that came to my mind was when you have those spiritual experiences it just becomes undeniable, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's not even a question of belief. It's just you're, you're seeing it. It's, it's, un it's, un it's as undeniable as colors in your perception. Um, right. That's just what came to mind. But to answer your question, how, how often is it good to use psychedelics? I think it really depends what life stage you're at and what sort of dosages you're working at. Generally, I would encourage people to do as much sober meditation as possible and to use psychedelics as sort of a, a tool to break through stubborn walls. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, I've been through periods in my life for a couple of months where I do it twice a week. And mm -hmm. those were sort of periods in life where you're really focused and you really feel like, you know, it's profound things are happening, healing is happening, and it feels like your life isn't falling apart. It's like a beautiful, mm -hmm. profound revelation. But when things start to get tough, that's when you need to just feel inwardsly that you need to scale back. You don't want your yeah. whole life to, to fall apart because these experiences, they can be incredibly beautiful, but they can also, what would the word be, like recontextualize your life to mm -hmm. not matter as much as you thought in the past. So it's good yeah. to keep a balance. But mm -hmm. I think if you do it twice a month, as long as you're feeling good, that's sort of the most you should do it. Mm -hmm. But if your life is going smoothly and you've got, you know, your meditations are going well, there's no reason to look at psychedelics for every meditation. I would right. sort of suggest always prefer sober meditation. But like you mm -hmm. said, twice a year would be a good checkup just so that you can be reminded of how yeah. great the heights are and so that we can just stay in touch with that a little bit. Yes. And I think it varies on 
you know, where people live, for example, and how many people they live with and how, how many like external things are happening to them daily just based on their own relationships and their own karma and where they're at in life. Um, but there does seem to be like this, you know, we could just call it the matrix of distraction that is like trying to keep people from becoming enlightened, you know, through as many means as possible from social media to um, the actual, you know, big media to like even just policies in general, like these things are illegal. You can't use them, you know, like um, there's so many blocks to this work that people have to work through to be able to actually center their life around it. Um, for you, is there any practice that you try to abide to as far as like, you know, how much you intake certain media or ways to not get distracted? Because again, I know it varies for everyone, but you know, for me, part of what I do for work is social media promotion. Um, but I also know that there's this double-edged sword of social media, like just as is helpful to get the word out and promote things and, and like have people see you, you can also fall down these rabbit holes and it's like, 15 minutes just went by, 20 minutes just went by. And then there's this also this concept of um, attention residue, which Cal Newport has popularized in his uh, book, Deep Work, which means every time you kind of take your attention away from one thing and to another, when you return to that first thing, it takes 20 and 25 minutes for you to fully immerse yourself in that experience again. So for like meditation, for example, if you were to pop out and check who texted you, you're not going to be able to just go right back in. It's going to take some time um, because you've, you know, you've allowed that distracted mind to come back into play. So yeah, for you, how do you like avoid distraction in this era of distraction? You know? Well, <clears throat> I think that's a good question. And just, yeah, distractions are, are all over the place. And you were talking mostly about the internet. I always find it fascinating because in a way, the internet is the greatest invention humans have ever made. We can talk right now. We can read about all these spiritual traditions. So it's really how we use it. And yeah. in terms of technology being a distraction, I just like really practical things you can do to cut back. Like, for instance, I don't have Facebook on my phone. Well, I actually mm -hmm. have two phones. I've got like an old phone that just is at home the whole time. And mm -hmm. Facebook is good because I use it for events, but I just don't mm -hmm. have it on my phone. So if you mm -hmm. don't have it on your phone, it's not there to be a distraction. Or on YouTube, I do like YouTube because there's a lot of good content on it. But like yeah. there's a little button that says don't recommend. And if anything mm -hmm. that I just feel like is not going to help me in my spiritual direction comes up, yeah. I just say don't recommend, not interested. So those are just yeah. like practical things, which I really like. Mm -hmm. But then we all fall, you know, it's really hard to, to not have any distractions. I think for me, mm -hmm. women actually, like if I'm dating someone and you're texting, it's really hard to to disengage from that because there's some part of you that says it's important. Yeah. But then <laughs> when you're at a grand spiritual state, you realize it's not important. But mm -hmm. I think it's, it's okay if we have some distractions. We should also mm -hmm. be kind with ourselves, not expect us to be perfect in this moment. If we were perfect, we'd be a Buddha already. So right. the, the loving kindness towards ourselves is good. And depending on the specific distraction, I would take as much just practical steps we can to to not make it tempting all the time. Mm -hmm. Do you have any interesting thoughts on it? It seems like you might have a, a plan of your own. 
Well, I do a similar thing and I'm trying to get better at it because I do feel like the phone is a constant pull. Um, and because this is, you know, even this work in podcasts and in psychedelic media, as I've called it, which, you know, my job has been for several years now to um, consult and or help people that are in this lane of promoting psychedelics, you know, because I've made, um, you know, several brands that kind of circulate this information and, and help to build certain pages. Uh, one is about DMT, DMT, the spirit molecule. Um, That's a very exciting job in general. Yeah, you know, and and thank you. And, and I feel so blessed that I was able to discover this um, type of work where it's like, I'm actually interested in the work. It's not just, um, you know, mundane tasks. It feels actually part of the greater mission that, that I have. Um, so it's very cool. But yeah, I feel like there is this... Um, I get upset with my phone a a lot. (laughs) I'm like, get this thing away from me sometimes, you know, and I want to ignore it. And other times it's like, is that responsible to do? Because what if this call comes in or what if you miss something on your calendar or what if a message comes in from someone and they need to cancel a podcast or they need to reschedule. So it's like this constant pull to want to be responsible with my communications, but also like, wow, I, I can tell how distracted it makes me and that it brings me stress. So I'm just trying to find a balance. You know, I haven't found it yet. I mean, one of the things I try to do is not wake up and look at it. Um, I, I, I will check the time on it. Um, but as far as like diving into apps and emails, like I try to at least wait an hour, you know what I mean? After waking um, before diving in there because um, I heard someone else speak on this pretty well on a YouTube channel. Um, I feel like his name was Huberman. I forget his first name, but he's a pretty popular podcaster out there. But he talks about like if you um, start your day with distraction, more or less, if you open your eyes, get on Facebook or Instagram and start scrolling, that sets your whole day up for distraction. You know, essentially, you've you've put it as the baseline that you're operating on versus waking up and and kind of slowly getting up, slowly getting into the day, slowly getting onto this role, um, which when I do that, it feels like such a better day. I feel like so much more in control of my mind um, when I'm able to do that, you know? Hmm. Well, it's, it's, yeah, very interesting what you're saying. It sounds like you're on the right track. That's what makes a human being so so tricky because it's like walking a tightrope. It's not about mm-hmm. going, throwing the phone out or being on the phone the whole time. You need to yeah. perhaps use the consciousness to to decide where is the, the right balance. And yeah. it's sort of interesting, I was talking about this with a friend earlier today. It seems like such a small thing, the being distracted by a phone, but it's a mm-hmm. small thing that makes a big obstacle because that mm-hmm. tiny distraction of looking at the phone, because it's so often so repeating, it's such a habit, it does actually mm-hmm. stop us from opening our mind to, to you know really profound states of consciousness. So... Mm-hmm. I think you're on the right track realizing that it's, it is a detriment, but mm-hmm. then if you're trying to balance it, then it's really good. I, I guess, mm-hmm. do you spare perhaps schedule times sometimes where you just have no phone? Like perhaps you could say, you know, you could schedule it that on Sundays there's no phone at all, or perhaps mm-hmm. on Thursday evenings you do a group meditation and again, no phone mm-hmm. at all. So perhaps right. then you just have segments where you know that you're going to be totally free. 
Yeah, that would, that'd be great. Um, I, I feel like it would be a, a big ask for the work that I do to like, no one hit me up Sunday, but maybe I need to work on why is that feel like such a big ask? Why do I feel like I would be inconveniencing others? You know, that's always a good question because there is this concept of self-love, which means like prioritizing yourself, not in a selfish way, but in a, in a way that you just at least are refilling your cup because we tend to give, 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 but you can't pour from an empty cup. So that's definitely an interesting idea. But I would say daily where there's like the phone away is like the meditation time, obviously. So it's like I do have a ritual daily um, that um, I've been practicing for 10 plus years. But as of the past, since the beginning of this year in particular, um, I went into this year with a, a medicine ceremony and claiming, you know, like the intention of the ceremony is to reconnect with yoga in the deepest way I have yet. Um, because there, I guess I felt like, you know, like everyone's trying to make resolutions at the beginning of a year and stuff. And I guess the guilt, I had this guilt inside that, man, I, this last year, which was last year, uh, 2021, I didn't do nearly as much yoga as the years prior. I didn't do nearly as much meditation as the years prior. And, you know, it's be, you know, there's a lot of factors, a lot of things were going on. The, the world was seemingly in chaos and, and stuff as well. Like 2020 and 2021 were just like crazy freaking years for Americans. Um, as far as like what was being promoted is you're going to die from COVID and blah, 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 blah. It's like um, the presidency and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like hard to not hear about. But um, <laughs> I made, I made a, uh, a commitment to practice deeper this year. So pretty much every day. Um, I haven't missed a day in over 160 days. I was calculating with my good friend, my kind of yoga buddy, Steven, um, where we're meditating every day. I did miss a day after my first day, like 45. And then I restarted. So now it's like 160 or, or wherever we're at. But um, where I sit down, I light a copal or an incense, something to kind of stimulate the senses, the, the smell. Um, I let that burn. I'll do a, a tune in mantra just to, you know, kind of connect to that source, um, that vibration. Um, and then, you know, just kind of sit in silence or do a few kriyas, um, do a, a vocal actually sung mantra, kind of like a kirtan. Um, and then just kind of sit in silence and, and it can range from 11 minutes to 30 minutes. So I've done an hour, you know, many times, but definitely still getting up to where you're at, where you're doing, it sounds like three hours a day on average, right? It varies a lot, but yeah, I think that that'd be accurate. Three, three plus hours a day. But I think it's also good. Uh, I've seen this in some other people as well. It's like to give yourself a pat on the back. Cause when you were saying that it sounds like, you know, perhaps there's a bit of distraction in life, but you know, mm -hmm. ultimately you're doing good with your work. You can honestly go to bed and feel like I'm helping the world. I'm not being a detriment. And you're putting in a really sincere effort to practice regularly. So the, the mind, of course, likes to say, oh, you should do better, you should do better. But it definitely sounds like you're on the right track. And awesome. yeah, it's like someone to me hearing that, it's like almost impressed. Like it's what well, it just seems genuine, authentic. And mm -hmm. if you've got that, you know, you're really on the right track. So it's good to sometimes pat ourselves on the back as well <laughs> for all the success. Mm -hmm. At least that's what came to my mind. Yeah. No, that's good. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard because a lot of people have this thing where they're their own worst critic, right? 
Um, I don't think everyone has it. There's people out there that are very confident and they're just like, I'm the shit. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm the best. Right. But you know, for me, I always tend to look at, you need to do better. You need to do better. Like, and I think it can just be kind of said that it's some sense of perfectionism that I've had since I was a kid. Um, but what's really great about meditation is for me, it calms the mind to the point that I just enter that kind of, that, that kind of perfectionist voice really lowers in, in, in its volume. You know, it can go from like a seven down to like a two with just 20 minutes, 30 minutes of meditation where you're feeling much more at ease, much more like in flow with life. And not that you have to go make this, this grand effort. And that's interesting because so many Americans think that you have a bad day if it's unproductive, but productivity comes in a lot of forms, you know, like a really good meditation day, maybe you didn't get as much work done, it's still productive in a certain sense. Um, and it might be even more of an important sense, you know, having a good day of meditation. Um, for you, how do, how do you kind of mark, like, feeling productive? Oh, it's really funny you asked that because I was having, a like, a half-an-hour conversation about this with one of my friends today. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was saying is, well, to me, when someone says productive, I think of it literally the word produce, so mm-hmm. if I produced a video, I feel like I was productive because I produced something. Whereas in meditation, yeah. I never feel productive because nothing was produced. I didn't create anything. But mm-hmm. to me, that's not the measure of success, ultimately. Creating something of worth is good, but there's no point running around producing things that are just frivolous uh, right. or that don't <laughs> help people. So that's a big measure for me. It's mm-hmm. just meditating is the most honorable thing to do when you don't know what to do and then when you reach a place that you feel like i could do something worthy then you fully jump into that i think that's sort of my general philosophy on on that topic so if you're super busy with work you know maybe you've got a really important job some people are super busy maybe you're the president or whatever Mm -hmm. but every day you wake up you've got no time for meditation but you feel like you're helping then that's good Mm -hmm. enough you know, that's already, you're, you're doing good in the universe, even if it is, you know, at a human level, that's still fine. But then if you don't know genuinely how to do good, then work on yourself inwardsly until you get that sort of clarity. Absolutely. Very, very good. This has been a great podcast, man. I really appreciate you coming, um, showing up. I know you're in Australia and it's super late right now. (laughs) It's Friday Friday night, but this is the best way to spend a Friday night talking about spirituality um, with someone on the opposite side of the world. There you go. That's awesome. And I I do... Fact, this is my first ever podcast, so... Really? Technical difficulties, but it was really fun. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you came on and I would love to do more in the future. I feel like we've got a nice little flow going here. Um, so how do you point people to your work? You know, you, you have a website, you have a YouTube channel. Uh, how would you invite people to to check out what you're doing? Sure. Well, my, web, my YouTube channel is called Open Hearts United. And my website, or you can find my website through the YouTube channel. Just go on the about section. But I might leave a little teaser for, or encouragement for people to check out the YouTube channel because I'm a, in the next week or so, I want to release what I think is a really exciting project, which is 
a new route of administration for 5-MeO DMT and 5-MeO mm. malt. Just a bit of background. There's a few ways you can take it. One is mm. by smoking or vaporizing. I should be more accurate. But yeah. I think it's a bit bad for your lungs, and mm. it only lasts about a quarter of the duration. So if you smoke 5-MeO DMT, it's like you probably know better than me, but it's about five minutes or so that it lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does uh, other yeah. Route- for me, it was about 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes. There's other routes of administration, the most famous being plugging, which is up the bottom. But a lot right. of people don't like that for like awkward reasons. But yeah. I'm just going to tease you a little bit. I've been working on a new route of administration, which is like really good. It gives you the feel, full power, the feel, full duration. So anyone nice. interested in 5-MeO DMT or 5-MeO malt, Go check out my YouTube channel in a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll upload that. So that's my little teaser that I had planned. Love it. Love it. Thank you. So honored to have you. Um, definitely recommend everyone check out this guy's YouTube channel. Gerard is very insightful. He's living uh, his best life, as I can see. And yeah, I just really appreciate what you're doing for the world, man. Thank you again. Oh, thank you for the kind words. It was great to be on. I really enjoyed it.